Hello and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Get Into Trouble. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now and come back when you've read it. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Famous Five podcast. Hello. Hi, how are you? Oh, you know, same as always. How are you? I'm good, yeah. Have you had a nice month? I know I have because I had a lovely special guest come and visit me. You might know her. Her name is Katie. It's you. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Yes, we had some nice fun adventures, didn't we? We did, yeah. Even though it was cut short somewhat because I had to come much later because I was too poorly to travel. Yeah, that was unfortunate, but I'm really glad that you did come. I made it eventually. You did, you made it. And you met my <laughs> sweet child Helena, which was wonderful. And you also met, you met the other, the baby, the naughty baby, Bo. Wonderful. I did. He was a good friend of mine. Yeah, he was. So now now you know all of the people, all the people in my life, all the little cat people. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps more importantly, I met Nick for the second time ever. Yes, that's true, because of course you'd only met him one time before at the wedding, which was three and a half years ago. Yes. Yes, yeah, so you, you two actually had some time to get to know each other and have a real conversation, which is wonderful. Because he is very familiar with your work because he listens to this podcast and our other podcast, the KJD pod. But you don't listen to his podcast mostly because he doesn't make one. No, but if he did make one, I would listen to it. Oh, that's nice. So this episode, we have read Five Get Into Trouble. However, just before we start that book, last episode I was challenged to write a little epilogue to Five Go Off to Camp. Yes. And would you like to hear it? I would, yeah, because I've been wondering what's happened to our good friend Ses. Okay, here we go. Life at Ollie's farm had slowly begun to feel normal. Mrs Andrews had sold off anything the police had returned to her as legal property and put the money aside to support the farm. She had hired new staff with the help of Will, who was head farmhand, and reported to Mrs Andrews every day for dinner, which Jock loved. Will's stories spanned decades and he always had time for Jock, teaching him farming skills, training him to be a farmer. It was very rare they ever mentioned Jock's stepfather and the prison sentence he'd received. But one evening at dinner, Mrs Andrews told Jock that Mrs Dearlove and her son Cecil were coming over the next day. Jock groaned. Not Cecil. Why is he coming? Jock, warned Mrs Andrews. Cecil's father went to prison as well. I have extended the hand of friendship to Mrs Dearlove and I expect you to do the same. I also think that they would like the last of Biddy's puppies. Mrs Andrews left to attend the dishes. Jock groaned and hit his head on the table. Anyone but Cecil. What's wrong with this Cecil lad then? Asked Will. He's neat and he's tidy and he likes to play indoors and he's soft, said Jock, not mincing his words. Don't talk rot, said Will firmly. 
just because he doesn't like what you like. But never mind he likes to be indoors. You know who else likes to be indoors? Doctors, teachers, scientists. Where would we be without them? Jock was quiet. Takes all sorts for this world to run. We need everyone in it to be different and to be themselves. And we need to let them know that being themselves is important. Do you hear me, lad? Yes, said Jock. I do. The next morning, a car pulled into the farmyard. A rather sullen Cecil got out of the car, standing close to his mother. Jock walked up to him and slowly extended a hand. Cecil shook it shyly. Hello, Cecil. It's nice to see you again. I've got some work to do on the farm today, but I've found some books that you might like to have a look at while I'm doing it, and then after lunch I thought we could play together indoors. Cecil seemed to grow inches taller. He accepted the offer immediately, and the two boys spent a very agreeable day together. When it was time for them to leave, Cecil held the puppy in his arms and smiled at Jock. See you again soon, said both boys, and Cecil's car sped away. How wonderful. Well done, Jock. You've grown as a person and you are better for it. And Cecil had the last puppy. Do you think he called it Cuddle? I hope he called it Cuddle. Good. (laughs) Well, that was very sweet. Thank you. Yay. Right, let's crack on with this book. Let's. This is a wild one. As the back of my book says, Dick's been kidnapped. He's been mistaken for somebody else. The famous five track him down to a lonely, out-of-the-way house, but they are seized and imprisoned too. Can the five escape? Very, very dramatic and full-on book, this one. Wow. Well, mine says, This Easter, the famous five are packing up their tents to go cycling off on holiday, and they can't wait. But the fun turns to danger when Dick is kidnapped in a case of mistaken identity. The others make a plan to find him, but their rescue mission soon goes wrong. Will they be able to save Dick and themselves? Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Amazing. Will they? I don't Will know. They, I don't know. Well, I mean, I do because I finished the book. This one is... I don't. There's something about this book where I think this is more of a wild adventure. I think it's Dick being kidnapped because, as we know, they've come up against a lot of really serious stuff but they've always been together for the most part so this one this one dick's been kidnapped of all the children to be kidnapped it's dick and why absolutely let's find out shall we (laughs) let's in chapter one it's the easter holidays and uncle quentin has forgotten that the children are staying also in this he refers to their mum as fanny's sister which is different from the first book oh I didn't pick up on that. I noticed he'd referred to their mother as Fanny's sister, but I hadn't remembered that it was different to the first book, so the plot thickens. Um, I also really like there's some more vague science where he says, you know, I have my scientific work to do, and very important it is too at the moment. I can't remember when children's schools break up or go back. Woo, he's so busy and important. And of course, Aunt Fanny blinds him with logic by saying, well, just ask me. I know. I know. (laughs) He could just do that. But I mean, this is the man that forgot to eat his own dinner when he was on his own. So, you know, science is life. Science forever. Nothing else. And the reason why this is important is because he's arranged to go off to a scientific conference and Aunt Fanny must go with him. 
Of course, yes. And the five can't stay in Kieran Cottage by themselves, despite only two books ago being allowed to go off in caravans by themselves. But maybe they're getting a reputation of maybe they don't want criminals in Kieran Cottage. They'd rather keep the criminal activity out of the house. That must be it, because it's funny. They're not allowed to stay in the house because Joanna's not there, but they are allowed to go in caravans and camp. And in this book, they can go on a cycle tour. They can do everything, but they cannot stay at home alone. And Aunt Fanny had bought them tents, so it seemed like she was quite happy for them to go camping. Alone. Which makes me wonder who owned the tents from the last book. Oh, of course. I wonder if they were Mr. Luffy's. Mr. Luffy! Uncle Quentin says that Julian is sensible enough, and the children say that the weather is as hot as July. But Aunt Fanny says she'll give Julian hotel money in case the weather turns. Well, that's just sensible. (laughs) Not a spare key to Kieran Cottage in case you need to come home because you shouldn't really be cycling more than a day away from home. No. Oh, do you know, every book, I love the logic of how the children end up alone. It's because it's so silly, but it's always so fun. It is. The first chapter is great because the first chapter is basically how do we get rid of two sets of parents and a cook and basically just an adult is going to say well they've got Timmy with them and Julian's sensible enough so as long as those two things are said then it's fine yeah it's any anything goes as long as Julian is there and they've got Timmy (laughs) in chapter two all the supplies are packed and the brakes work on the bikes shout out to the highway code which Uncle Quentin doesn't know about oh he's too busy with his science they stop at the beautifully named Manlington Tovey All of Enid Blyton's place names are created, which is such a shame because imagine the tours we could go on. I know. They all have ice cream, Timmy as well, and they set off thinking about their sandwiches. Wonderful. Anne saw some cows pulling at the grass in a meadow as they passed. It must be awful to be a cow and eat nothing but tasteless grass, she called to George. Oh, I love the fact that they're on bicycles, so this isn't a chat. This is her shouting to somebody (laughs) in front or behind her. Must be awful to be a cow and eat nothing but tasteless grass. (laughs) Think what a cow misses. Never tastes an egg and lettuce sandwich. Never eats a chocolate eclair. Never has a boiled egg. Oh my gosh, just yelling that as she goes along. And can't even drink a glass of ginger beer, poor cows. (laughs) George laughed. You do think of silly things, Anne, she said. Now you've made me want my lunch all the more, talking about egg sandwiches and ginger beer. I know Mother made us egg sandwiches and sardine ones too. It's no good, chimed in Dick, leading the way into a little copse, his bicycle wobbling dangerously. It's no good. We can't go another inch if you girls are going to jabber on about food all the time. Julian, what about lunch? (laughs) Amazing. They find a lovely copse and have their picnic. And George accidentally eats one of the sandwiches she prepared for Timmy. They have a nap and head off to a nearby lake that Julian has found on the map. In chapter three, they buy their supper and breakfast after having their tea. And as the weather is so nice, they decide they don't need the tents. They go for a bathe in the very cold lake. Then they settle down in their sleeping bags, looking at the night sky and spotting Venus. They fall asleep. In the morning, the boys head to the lake and meet another boy. He claims the lake is on his father's land, and his father is Thurlow Kent, one of the richest men in the country. All three boys swim off together. Into the sunset. 
but it's actually the sunrise. <laughs> in chapter four, Anne calls them for breakfast and invites the boy, Richard, as well. George is still asleep, but hearing a stranger's voice rouses her. Richard talks about how his father is strict and made plenty of enemies, including an old bodyguard who wasn't very nice. The boys are a little dubious of Richard's tales. Richard says he has a tutor called Lomax and five dogs. Actually, I don't think we'd be allowed to rush off completely on our own unless we had old Timmy, said Dick honestly. He's better than any ruffinly bodyguard or holiday tutor. I wonder you don't have a dog. Oh, I've got about five, said Richard airily. What are their names? said George disbelievingly. Uh, Bunter, Biscuit, Brownie, Bones and a uh, Bonzo, said Richard with a grin. Silly names. Fancy calling a dog Biscuit. <laughs> you must be cracked. Now that's two books in a row that George has been very outspoken about what to call a dog and what not to call a dog. She has got a lot of very strong feelings about what a dog can be called. It needs a nice proper name like Timothy. <laughs> Also, I don't know that we ever find out for sure that his dogs are made up. But when he said, oh, I've got about five, I just thought, liar, 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 pants on fire, Richard. And for that, George winds him up and he doesn't take it very well. He challenges George to a fight, believing her to be a boy. And the two fox terriers, as Julian calls them, are pacified. And the children decide to pack up and head for Middlecombe Woods. Yeah, I think he doesn't... He doesn't want to fight her after he finds out she's a girl. That just calms him down straight away. But actually, and also he says, good thing I didn't fight you. I should have knocked you flat. But actually, I mean, surely everybody's money would be on George. Absolutely. Richard couldn't take her. We know that, well, we find out later on that Richard's obviously quite small in stature. Of course. And we know that George isn't too far off Julian. So, yeah, she'd take him. Of course she'd take him. And, I mean, she's got all of the passion and rage inside to really to deck everybody, so. <laughs> Especially if you call your dog Biscuit. Yeah, yeah. Give your dog a silly name and she will end you. In Chapter 5, Richard has invited himself along. Julian is worried, as Richard previously said his mother would never allow him on a trip. But Richard assures him he'll get permission and stay at his aunt's house. He heads off to ask his mother and arranges to meet them at Croker's Corner. The five set off and Richard is already waiting for them, telling them he has permission. Richard is an unruly cyclist and Julian has to be stern. I love Julian's following of the rules. I actually put a little note in here saying no rule breaking, no rule breaking on Jews watch. And I love that he tells Richard we can't cycle three abreast because cyclists aren't allowed to do that. And Richard says, I don't care. Who's going to stop me? And Julian says, I shall stop you. And Richard just stops. That's, that's it. That was all he needed. He just needed the sensible boy to tell him off and then he will follow the rules too. Which is good. Of course. Well, the thing with it is Julian has been put in charge and it's all very well being in charge of Dick and Anne and George. And he's not in charge of Timmy, but suddenly this renegade comes along and <laughs> Julian yes. is suddenly responsible for somebody who he is not happy to be responsible for. And anything, you know, if he was to be injured or anything like that, it would be Julian's responsibility. 
So you have to be stern and sensible if you're going to be in charge of, you know, 12 and 11 year olds. That's true. Yeah. And the other, the rest of the five follow rules when they're sensible ones like that. Absolutely. But this Richard, he's a wild card. He is. He's just, nobody's ever told him how to behave, really. So he just thinks he can do what he wants. True. They, of course, buy more food and Richard buys an expensive cake. They eat a picnic, carry on their journey and reach great giddings for tea in a tea shop. I mean, there's so much eating again. Yes, but it's important. They have to keep their strength up. Absolutely. So, after they've left the tea shop, Anne says, Some people are so awfully nice and generous, said Anne as they mounted their bicycles to ride off again. You just can't help liking them. I do hope I can cook like that when I grow up. If you do, Julian and I will always live with you and not dream of getting married, said Dick promptly, and they all laughed. Yeah, I like it when they talk about what they might do in the future. So Anne might be a, a, a pastry chef, I suppose, and have a little restaurant, tea place. And have her brothers just live with her and eat and eat and eat. Ugh, well, I mean, I hope that they... I hope they also find something they can do with their lives. But yeah, perhaps they will just live with her and eat and eat and eat. (laughs) Julian asks Richard where his aunt's house is. Richard points and says a hasty goodbye. In chapter six, the children wonder if Richard has been truthful. And they need to buy supper and breakfast. I have made a note of where has all the food gone. Because if they eaten a whole cake that Richard bought, plus everything else, and had a massive tea, and they still need, they don't have anything left for supper and breakfast. Nothing at all. They do just eat, they all eat and eat and eat all the time. But yeah, I mean, what happened to the cake? We didn't hear any details about how delicious it was. No, just that it was expensive. Yeah. It was expensive and it was too big for one child to carry in their basket, so they had had to cut it in two. And yet we must be under the impression that it's all gone. Yeah. Interesting. Dick gets a puncture, so he and Anne stay at the campsite. Julian and George head to a farm to get food. As Dick is mending his puncture and Anne rests, they hear shouting. It's a terrified Richard. He's calling for Timmy and that somebody is after him. When he realises Julian and Timmy aren't there, he runs off again. Anne decides to climb a tree to see if she can see what's going on. There's a noise and two men pounce on Dick. He tries to explain that he's Dick, not Richard Kent, but the men drag him away. Anne is petrified. She hears the men say, Owl's Dean, and she sits in the tree sobbing. It's dark and she hears footsteps. Oh, let it be Julian, George and Timmy. And I would like to point out that we still the reader still does not know what the children's last name is because Dick shouts, I'm not Richard Kent. And then I thought, oh, he's going to say, I'm Dick Kieran. But he doesn't, he just says, I'm not Richard Kent, but he doesn't provide any details about his own identity. Not that they would listen, but, and also I suppose, I mean, is Dick's name, is Dick short for Richard or is his name just Dick? Because I've read some things that claim it is short for Richard, but I don't think it ever says in the book that he is Richard. No, no. A mystery, a mysterious character. In chapter seven, Julian and George have come across the first ever farmer who isn't delighted to supply them with food and tries to overcharge them as well. As they leave, Timmy senses someone coming. Richard arrives still shouting and scared. 
He confesses that his aunt is away. Julian is very cross. Richard tells them a car passed him and in it was Rookie, the bodyguard who was sacked and swore revenge on his father. Rookie sent two men after him to find him in the woods, which is why he wanted Timmy to protect him. Julian and George rush back to see if Anne and Dick are safe. In chapter 8, they make it back to the empty campsite. Julian yells for his brother and sister. Anne talks to them from the tree and Julian climbs up to help her down. Anne says the men took Dick thinking he was Richard. Julian is furious with Richard. Anne is sympathetic. And they come up with a plan, finding Owl's Hill on the map. They head off, eating as they go. <laughs> well, because they didn't have time for a proper meal, so they've got to, they've got to you know, get the calories in somehow. Yeah, because they haven't had six meals already today. Well, no, they haven't. I think they've only had five. Oh, my goodness. I know. In chapter nine, they ride by moonlight and... Julian says they can switch the headlamps off, so Anne says, switch off your headlamps, Timmy, because she is mad as a box of frogs. <laughs> she is, isn't she? They realise they can't eat at the same time as cycling, and so stop near a tumble-down hut. They hear a very quiet car, and they think about asking for help when they see it has no headlamps on. As it stops, a man carrying a bundle gets out and meets another man who takes that bundle. The second man changes his clothes, leaving the old one down a well. The children note the car registration. Anne wonders if he's an escaped prisoner. They don't know, and they again set off for Owl's Hill. Anne is very clever, and she predicted that very well. And I do like how George and Anne, between them, are just solving these crimes before they even start. Because George makes out the letters on the car, and Anne makes out the numbers and what type it is. So between them, they they would have an account to give to the police. So well done. Well done, girls. Well done. But unfortunately, they didn't go to the police. They no. arrive at Owl's Hill, chapter 10, where Owl's Dean is. And it's a mansion, grand and old. They find the locked gates and hide as they hear a car coming. The gates open for the car, which Julian finds odd, as he didn't see anyone open them. They cautiously go through the gates, which close silently behind them. Julian realises that they're prisoners now too. They hide their bikes and head towards the house, being briefly scared by a screech owl. They reach the house and Julian peeks in the window. He sees a short man with an evil face and a timid woman. Richard spies an open window and the children climb in. Mm. In chapter 11... The children enter the house, but before they can get Timmy in, the men appear and slam the window shut. Julian accuses them of being kidnappers, but the man denies it and offers them a bed for the night. Very interesting. Aggie, the timid lady, lets slip that Dick is there, and she mentions the man is called Mr. Purton. The children plan to find Dick and keep Richard's identity secret. In chapter 12, the children are given food and coffee. George sends all of hers out of the window for Timmy. Julian says everyone should bed down and create a lump in the shape of him because he is off to hide. I think he's learnt that trick from Block in book four. Oh, yeah. Do you remember when we always thought it was Block in bed, but it was actually just pillows? Oh, good job. Learning as we go. Yeah, I do, I do like this from Julian. I think it's very brave when he says, I'll be hiding outside in that cupboard. I have a sort of feeling that our pleasant host, Mr. Purton, will come along presently to lock us in, and I've no intention of being locked in. Yeah, just a great idea, and brave. Well done. 
Well done, Julian. And of course, Mr. Purton does just that, leaving the key in the lock. Luckily. Julian creaks his way around the house until he finds where Dick is being held. He can't unlock that door. He speaks to Dick through the door and Dick explains that only Rookie knows what Richard looks like and he's arriving in the morning. They are hopeful that they will all be just allowed to leave. Julian snoops around the house and in one room he sees a handle with a label for the gates on it and he twists it. But in chapter 13 he hurriedly twists it back again because of the loud noise it makes. Mm. Then suddenly he hears snoring but there was no one in the room or in the next room. He identifies it as coming from behind the bookcase. He examines it and feels behind the shelf and pulls a knob which reveals a small opening. The snorer remained undisturbed inside. He closes the secret door, thrilled with his discovery. Escape was essential. In the morning, Aggie wakes them and Julian tells them what's happened. In the kitchen, they wash and chat, even though Hunchy, which is an interesting name, yeah. Tells them to be quiet. Julian rose too. I don't take orders from you, whoever you are, he said, and he sounded just like a grown-up. Halt, you hold your tongue or else be civil. Oh, don't talk to him like that. Don't, begged the woman anxiously. He's got such a temper, he'll take a stick to you. I'd take a stick to him, except that I don't hit fellows smaller than myself, said Julian. Julian with all the sass. Julian is so sassy in this book. He's got children to protect. Uncle Quentin said he was sensible enough and he's going to prove it. Absolutely. That's what happens when you have all the responsibility. Yes. The children help Aggie with the washing up, much to her astonishment. It seems like this is the first time ever she's had anybody be even remotely nice to her. I know, bless her. In chapter 14, it's an hour later and they hear the grinding of the gates opening. Richard gets very frightened. Julian makes to go and rescue Dick, but Hunchy throws his shoe at him. They hear Dick being fetched and Rookie yelling. Julian tells Richard to rub soot in his hair as a disguise. Mr. Purton enters with Rookie and Dick. Mr. Purton apologises to them and offers them £10 and tells them they're free to go as long as they don't tell anyone about the mistake. Now, I had to sort of stop this because it was written in the 1940s, but they didn't have pounds. Oh, Um, Because I had to ask my dad when the pound came in. And pound coins didn't actually come in until about the 80s. Because it was pound notes. So I'm wondering if anybody has got a copy older. I mean, my copy isn't very old. 1997. But this first came out in 1949. So I'd be really interested if anybody's got an older copy. If they could let us know what money was given to the children. Yeah, I I didn't think of that because I was wondering what that would be equivalent to now because earlier in the book that man had tried to charge five pounds for the food and Julian said he'd give one pound and that seemed like that was a lot so interesting yeah we need we need Hmm. someone to let us know what happens in an older version of the book the children take the money but then Julian hands it all to Aggie bless him and she acts like it's a lot of money so it was obviously a considerable amount They hear the gates open, and as they ride towards them, they see them closing. (gasps) I'd like to say a bit earlier in the chapter, there's a lovely bit from Timmy's point of view, which is always my favourite, and anything to do with being an animal lover, when um, Timmy's very puzzled about this whole affair. Why wasn't he allowed inside the house with George? He knew there were some people who didn't welcome dogs into their houses, but George never went to those houses. 
bless him and bless her. Very sweet. In chapter 15, the criminals have realised that Richard had sooted his hair and come after him. Rookie grabs him and Timmy bites him. Rookie tells Mr. Purton to keep all the kids as prisoner until the job is done. We have some interesting thoughts on being a coward here. So Richard is upset and he says, I'm sorry, I know you don't believe me, but I really am. I've always been a bit of a coward. I can't help it. Yes, you can, said Julian scornfully. Anybody can help being a coward. Cowardice is just thinking of your own miserable skin instead of somebody else's. Why, even little Anne is more worried about us than she is about herself, and that makes her brave. She couldn't be a coward if she tried. I loved that bit, and I also marked that out. Every bit of praise that Anne receives, I, I like. I feel it personally. And also, just yes, she is brave, and Richard, you can be, you just have to try. And I don't see Julian calling her little Anne as an issue, because somebody who is a very favourite person in my life calls me little Katie, and I love it. Yes, yeah. Yeah, he's just, he's saying it in an affectionate way. He's not dissing her as he praises her, so. Aggie tells them they have the option of being outside all day or staying locked up inside. She's on their side and tells them there's a plan to poison Timmy and they should only feed him the food that she will sneak to them. In chapter 16, they explore the grounds. Hunchy puts food down and Anne, the evil genius, (laughs) says... I know what we'll pretend. We'll pretend that Timmy ate half and didn't like the rest, so we gave it to the hens and ducks. And Hunchy will be frightfully upset because he'll think they'll die and he'll get into a row, said George. Serve him right. Come on, let's get the food now. I love that part. (laughs) Yes, Anne. Well done. Isn't that amazing? I love any bit where they're sort of flaunting the fact that Timmy isn't dead. I bet you're surprised to see him. Oh, he's feeling very (laughs) jolly today. (laughs) Me too. And also, I love that it's it's such an awful thing to do, but because Hunchy was trying to poison Timmy, you know, we don't feel bad that the children are playing such an awful trick on him. No. And of course, later, in what I like to call a gen moment, Anne reassures the chickens that they're not poisoned. Yes, when I saw that, I thought that I am Anne in that moment when she says, and you needn't worry, hens. You're not poisoned, and we wouldn't dream of harming you. Yes, I would say that to a chicken. (laughs) Aggie sneaks out a huge meal for them in the washing basket. In chapter 17, they thank Aggie, who tells them where she will leave their tea. They tease Hunchy some more, and Julian comes up with a plan. The only thing that gets out of the gates is the car. If he hides in the boot, he can get help. Anne is worried about Julian leaving them. Dick says he'll do it. George would, but she doesn't think there's room for Timmy in the boot as well. (laughs) (laughs) They have to go as a two. They look in the boot, but it's only small, and Anne offers to go. Bless her. Because she is super. Julian doesn't want her to, and I don't think that that, again, is a patriarchy move. I just don't think he wants his 11-year-old sister alone with a known criminal. Mm -hmm. Then from nowhere, Richard volunteers the bravest thing he's ever done. Anne hugs him and Richard gets in the boot. Yes, I I like it when Richard offers and Julian says, I can't understand your offering to do a difficult thing like that. It doesn't seem a bit like you. And then Anne says, Julian, I think I understand. He's thinking of our skins this time, not of his own. 
or at least he's trying to. Let's give him a chance to show he's got a bit of courage. Oh, Aww. yes, let's. In chapter 18, Mr. Purton drives off in the car and the children are called in for supper. Hunchy comes to say Rookie wants Richard and the children pretend not to know where he is. Love it. Rookie and Hunchy go round the grounds to find him. The children tune into the radio and hear a report on Richard. There's no mention of them being missing as no one would even know yet. The crooks haven't found Richard and Julian isn't giving anything away. I loved this bit. It's like, you know, when the children, like you said, when they're flaunting that Timmy's still alive. But with this, they all act like, oh, we we don't know where Richard is. He was just with us. And they make a big show of going to the window and yelling, Richard, out into the grounds. In chapter 19, Richard travels for many miles in the boot. And when the car stops, he has to get out slowly, having been squashed up for so long. Mr. Purton sees him and shouts. Richard runs. Mr. Purton catches him. But Richard breaks free and gets to a police station. He tells his story and the police set off for Al's Dean. Mr. Purton makes it back to Al's Dean and tells Rookie what's happened. He's so angry, but Purton is more concerned about someone called Weston, an escaped prisoner. They must act fast. I really like when Richard's in the boot of the car and we're going along with him and it's saying, poor Richard was terrified. He bumped his head hard on the back of the boot and gave a groan. He sat curled up, feeling sick and scared. He began to wish he had not tried to be a hero and get help. Being any kind of a hero was difficult, but this was a dreadful way of being heroic. Look, poor little boy, it is difficult, and what he's doing is horrible. So, well done, Richard. <laughs> poor thing. In Chapter 20, Julian hears the exchange and knows the police are on their way, but he also heard Rookie threaten the children's lives and mention the sparklers. Diamonds. Mr. Purton said they should let the children go, but as they're leaving, the police arrive. So Mr. Purton shoves them back towards the house, warning them about Rookie. Julian decides they should hide in the secret room, which seems a little odd. Dick, George, Timmy and Anne go in. But Julian remembers he'll have to stay outside to let them out again. Julian hides in another room, but Rookie starts hammering the door. Again, Julian being very brave. And that was quite frightening when Rookie was trying to break the door down. Goodness knows what he's going to do if he gets in there. In the final chapter, Julian suddenly remembers he can open the gates from that room. He does so and Rookie flees. Julian opens the front door for the police And Mr. Purton emerges looking calm. He pretends to know nothing about Weston. The police believe he was helping people escape from prison. Julian steps forward and takes them to the secret room. The bookcases slid back to reveal the children, a convict and the diamonds. The police offer to take the children home, but of course there's no one at Kieran Cottage. However, there is an invite to stay at Richard's house. Over dinner, Julian says that Richard acted foolishly, but his bravery won the day. The end. Lovely. I have to say this is one of my favourites. It's it's such a good one. It's really fun. It felt a little bit shorter than the others, I felt. I don't know if it was quicker paced or if it's actually less pages. Uh, they're usually about two, oh yeah, it's about 185 pages. I think Five Go Off in a Caravan was quite a long one. Ah, and I haven't got camp to hand. But yeah, I think it's maybe a few pages shorter. But it they get into, not not into the actual adventure, because they don't reach Al's Dean for a while, but into sort of something unusual. 
quite early because they meet Richard in chapter four. Uh, and usually they've had a few more days adventure free just roaming the countryside or whatever. Yeah. Um, but sort of as soon as they meet Richard and he starts causing trouble for them, there's there's bits and pieces to cover. Mm. Yeah, I, I, like, I like this story. There's quite a bit going on aside from them just kidnapping Dick because they think he's Richard. There's also this escaped convict, which only sort of gets mentioned three times in the book, really. When they first see him, when Julian finds the secret room and then right at the end. So you can be forgiven for sort of forgetting that and then going, who is this Western guy that they're talking about? Yes. Yeah, you're right. Don't sort of over-egg that bit of plot. Yes. Actually, for a while as I was reading it, I wasn't sure if perhaps Rookie was the escaped convict, but they do actually mention that he's fresh out of prison. But um, you're right, Weston isn't mentioned an awful lot. He's sort of a surprise at the end. Surprise! Surprise! There's a prisoner in this little room. And also, three of the children are in there. And Timmy. And I love the way (laughs) that Dick presents the bag of diamonds with a grin. And he's like, oh, it's heavy. There's a lot of diamonds in here. Oh, Dick, I love you so much. (laughs) Anything else you want to say about Five Get Into Trouble? Just in case anybody missed it, I love this book. I think so far it's definitely my favourite. I th- I think it's mine too, although I think this is the third time that I've decided it's my favourite book. Oh, they're all just so good and sweet. But I'm going to say I think, I do think so far overall this one is my favourite. It's got some lovely moments from each of the children. It's, it's a lovely book. this section we talk about the two tv adaptations from the 1990s and the 1970s usually i play you clips but actually what i really want you to do is for certain go and watch the 1970s version because it was one of my favorites as a child they stick quite close to the plot um obviously it's updated for the 70s so the gates are actually operated from inside the car rather than the house just through a button because it's not as magical you know electric gates in the 70s as opposed to the 40s aha uh-huh, yes it is still quite frightening rookie is quite a frightening character and mr Purton is very sort of suave and cool when the police arrive and i think it's one of the ones that was filmed later because the children look a lot older and there's a lovely bit at the start where Uncle Quentin and Aunt Fanny are waving them off and saying, oh, you will do this and you will do that. And George is going, yes, mother, don't flap. <laughs> Uncle Quentin goes, Timmy, I'm relying on you. And Timmy does a bark. Oh, bless. And then George goes, right, we're off. Um, oh, and in case we don't see you, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's on YouTube. It's definitely worth watching. It was one of my favourites. Lovely. Yeah. No clips this episode. What have we learnt from Five Get Into Trouble? Some lovely things. I've learnt that Anne can climb up trees, but not down. She's a cat. It's just struck me. Ah, more of the reason why I identify with her so strongly. Yes. I've learnt... Um, There's a little bit earlier on, which I didn't mention, but Dick is saying how he loves to be hungry and Anne questions it. And he says, and I think this is a very good moral for life. 
It's decent to be hungry when you know there's a good meal in the offing. Agreed. I've learnt to always befriend the person in charge of the food. Mm, very good idea. And being any kind of a hero is difficult. Which it is. It is. And uh, something that we all knew deep, deep down, that Anne is actually an evil genius. She is, yeah. <laughs> she is. I look forward to seeing more of her evil plans develop throughout the books. <laughs> Uh, this is the point where we pick a hero of the book, and we're both completely agreed on this one, aren't we? Yes, absolutely. It's Julian. He is put in charge. He acts completely in the best interest of his siblings. And he is so brave, and he's very confident in what he's doing. He's just He's a lovely boy in this. I'm glad. I'm glad that he's in charge. And he upholds the highway code. He does, yes, and that's very important. So that means now, so this is our eighth book, and that means Julian has now been the hero twice. So the hero stats are Timmy has been twice the hero, Anne has been twice the hero, Julian twice, and then we've got Dick and George at one each. I wonder if it'll be evenly split throughout the series there's 21 books so it won't be quite even but I wonder if there's a nice balance of the children being especially heroic throughout the books oh we'll have to see won't we we will we will so what can we expect next time so from book nine five fall into adventure I hate to tell you this Jen but somebody else gets kidnapped oh my goodness who? George. No! Afraid so. Oh my gosh! Well, that sounds bad, but I did love this one with Dick being kidnapped, so maybe next week will be another fun kidnap romp. Well, we'll have to find out, and you can join us next month to do exactly that. Yes, please do. And also, perhaps next month, I don't want to ask too much of you, but... Do you think we will find out what happened to Aggie after she doesn't have to live at Owlstein anymore? More homework. I know. You could just tell me now. What do you think happens? After she leaves Owlstein, she heads to Great Giddings, where that little tea shop is. Uh-huh. And she asks the lady if she can have a job. And she uses the £10 that the children gave her to rent a room in Great Giddings so she can live there and earns money at the tea shop and her meat pies sell so well that the lady employs her permanently and she lives out her life in Great Giddings and she gets a little dog and she names it Timmy. Oh, yay, I'm glad she got a little dog. Good job, Aggie. Good, now I don't have to do that homework. Yes, good. So in the meantime, between now and next month, when we cover Five Fall Into Adventure, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Famous Five Pod. If you'd like to visit our website, it's www.famousfivepod.wordpress.com. And if you would like to send us an email, and remember, we would love to hear if it's pound notes in earlier versions of the book. You can email us, famous5pod at gmail.com. I, as ever, am hashtag Team George, 
I'm hashtag team Anne, especially after the chicken talk. Our special guest last month, Charlie, was hashtag team Dick. So we are still looking for hashtag team Julian to complete the four. Yes, if you are a good leader, can keep a cool head in times of trouble, brave, and you follow the highway code, you might be Team Julian. And you wouldn't take a stick to anybody shorter than yourself. Ah, yes, very important. If you know in your heart you would not take a stick to anybody shorter than yourself, you might be hashtag Team Julian, and we would love to hear from you. We would indeed. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye.